morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Well, as the Apostle Peter would say in greeting, welcome to all of you who are scattered throughout the world and listening to this lesson. People chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit, whether you're in upstate New York or in the state of Washington or in Tennessee or in Michigan or in Idaho or in California or in Florida or in northern Arizona or in Texas or in Illinois, even those who maintain residence here in the Phoenix, Arizona community, people who obey Jesus Christ and who are sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing happens in the universe without his permission. He is the Jewish Messiah. The Lord was not sent by his Father to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He died on a cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin. The only payment for sin that is satisfactory to God the Father is what Jesus Christ did at the cross. So you can feel sorry for your sins, you can confess your sins, or you can go through any other human machinations that you'd like to go through. But the only perfect payment for sin is Jesus Christ's work at the cross, and he did it well. And as a result of his victory at the cross, we are fully forgiven and forever forgiven for every sin we've ever committed, past, present, or future. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. Being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard that right. Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing He is not a concept. And just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. And since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn about him through the study of his thinking, through the study of his word. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, who is the ruler of this world. He is the ruler of planet Earth. And he is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. He does not want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to get to know God. The word of God is the truth that keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, what's left when your idols are taken away? What's left when your idols are taken away. Well, this was a down week for many people, including me. I got a lot of calls from people telling me they were down and asking me to cheer them up. In the midst of my own downness, notice that? You see what I did there? I created my own word. Is that pretty good? My downness. I was reflecting on why I chose to be a pastor. 
The obvious reason, I love the Lord. Being a pastor is a way for me to get to know him, and I really want to know him when I meet him for the first time. And it's amazing to me how many people in this world don't want to know him at all, but more than that, uh, Christians who don't want to know him when they meet him for the first time. And you know that because they don't study his word. Another reason I chose to be a pastor is that I love helping other people get to know the Lord, and Bible lessons accomplish that end. That's why we're here. We're here to get to know the Lord. Every lesson has a three-part structure. In the first part, you are reminded who the Lord is. Every single week, I'm telling you who the Lord is. And in case you missed it, I hung a sign behind me over the, back, over the top of my head so you know exactly where we're coming from here. Jesus Christ is God. That is the one thing that you have to know more than any other thing that when you come to this planet, you have to know that Jesus Christ is God so that you can choose whether or not you want to have a relationship with him. So in the second part of the lesson, you learn God's word verse by verse. Our focus is the New Testament, 27 books that are the 27 books directed at church-age believers, and we are church-age believers. The Old Testament books were directed to the age of Israel. They were directed to the Jews. The Jews were given 490 years to evangelize. And 483 years into that, the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth and set the Jews aside. They still have seven more years to evangelize, and that will happen right after this drop-in age called the church age. And that age that is the drop-in age is called the tribulation. And no one who is a believer in Christ in the church age will be in that seven-year period, thank God, because that is the worst period of time in divine history. And we are constantly moving toward that worst time. The things that we're experiencing in the world right now are because we are moving at a rapid pace toward that last time, that seven years. And then after that seven years is up, and another attempt is made to kill all the Jews, which will not be successful, the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. He will reign personally on the earth for a thousand years. And we, as church-age believers, will reign with him. So we are responsible for the 27 books of the New Testament. Anything in the Old Testament that applies to us is repeated in the New Testament. So it's great to know a lot of the things that are going on in the Old Testament. It's great to know that. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, there are a lot of great things in the Old Testament. But our responsibility as church-age believers is the New Testament. So in the second part of every lesson, I'm teaching you, verse by verse, those 27 books. And then in the third part of each lesson, you hear the gospel message, the most important message that you can hear in your time on earth. And one of the things I will be proudest of at the judgment seat of Christ is that nobody who came to Barah Ministries will have ever escaped without having heard the gospel message because I repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And why? Because it is the most important thing that you could ever hear. And you can't hear it enough times. So for believers in Christ, I repeat it so that it, you can, I can remind you that you are saved because the, the ruler of this world will routinely inject into you the temptation to doubt whether you're saved or not. There is nothing worse 
than doubting whether you're saved or not. You need to know. If you've spent one second in time believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. And you cannot lose it. John 10, 28 says, I, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So what that means is that when you close your eyes in this life, you will open your eyes face to face with the Lord. And I want you to know that, and I want you to hear it over and over and over again as believers in Christ. And we didn't know that until we studied the book of Romans. The most important book that a believer in Christ can study is the book of Romans, the sixth book of the New Testament, because it tells you exactly one thing, why you are saved. It's amazing. Now, for unbelievers, the gospel message gives them an opportunity to be saved. And once a month, we look back at the cross to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did there by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Each lesson has uplifting music, except when June is singing it. And <laughs> you, like, you didn't see that one coming, did you? That was a fastball down the middle. No, each lesson has amazing music, including June's music. And uh, it, it is designed to uplift because music gives hope. Music is amazing. And the entire lesson is designed to inspire hope. And I'm convinced that the Lord brought me to earth to give people hope. And that's exactly what my purpose is in life, to give people hope, one conversation at a time, one interaction at a time, all the time, my whole life. Now, in today's lesson, we'll start with a brief message of hope that will help you recover from this week's doldrums, and then we will return to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and our study of idols and idolatry. All right, so let's begin with some of that uplifting music. One of the things I want you to know is God is never disappointed with us. He has never been disappointed with us. He will never be disappointed with us. He loves us unconditionally. But if we are being honest, we don't believe for a second that God is never disappointed with us because we're always disappointed with ourselves. The Apostle Paul shares insight for every time when we realize over and over and over again that we don't measure up. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 say this. This is Paul talking. He said, The Lord has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my human weaknesses, so that the divine power of Christ may be displayed in me. That's what happens when you're weak. God brings his power forth and displays it through you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, therefore, I, Paul, am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, that is when I'm strong. And I want to ask you, is that how you feel as a human being? When you notice yourself being weak, when you notice yourself feeling inadequate, when you notice yourself feeling hurt, is that when you feel strong? Answer me. No. No. No, it's not. But that's when you're actually strong. You see, so our brains are wired the wrong way. Our brains are wired to the world. 
And what does the world say? Well, if you have a hurt in your life, you should be down. Well, if somebody insults you, you should get offended. That's the way the world wants to wire you up. That is not the way God's wiring you up. He says, if you feel weak, you're strong. I got you. Amen? All right. So Francesca Battistelli reminds us that God knows us personally. In her song, He Knows My Name. Choose me first if I was looking for 
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for being our strength, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our refuge, our shield, our stronghold, and our hope. We know that in your predetermined plan, you built in a set of assurances that provide refreshment for our souls in the midst of trouble. We know that everything you planned for us in eternity past is already done and that the plans you have for us are designed to give us a future and a hope. Father, lift our countenance as we study your word today. Bring your sunshine to our souls. Encourage us to press on against the wind. Help us to bring hope to others. Restore our confidence that we have a glorious life ahead one day at a time. Show us your way. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what's left when your idols are taken away? What's left when your idols are taken away? Well, that song we just heard is really encouraging. God knows your name, and every hair on your head is numbered. And if you don't have hair on your head anymore, every follicle that used to represent a hair is numbered. Amen. I mean, you know, one of the things that's just fun for me here at Barah Ministries, I get to stand in front of a group of people, and you're all, you're just a motley group of people. Yeah, you just, you know, you got the tattoo biker guy over here, electrician with the ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) You got June over here who laughs no matter whether I'm funny or not, you know. sings off key, can't breathe. We got the kid who sleeps in every other week. Maybe he comes, maybe he don't. If he comes, he goes, this is not quite as good as a video game. Except once in a while, the guy's kind of funny. You know, we we just got a bunch of mutts gathered together. And isn't it amazing that God loves us so much? And that's not what the world is telling you. The world's telling you that your uniqueness and your individuality is not okay and that you need to conform and that you need to be like everybody else, but you can't be like everybody else. You have fingerprints for a reason. And the reason you have fingerprints is nobody else has this set of prints. And that's you and your uniqueness. And God wants you to express your uniqueness. And when you express your uniqueness and somebody's coming down on you, you immediately go, oh, I better conform. Oh, I better change my voice. Oh, I better sound like everybody else. No, no, that's not what you came here to do. You know, I, I was writing something. I'm writing something on racism right now because my feelings about racism aren't the same as the feelings of other black people. I don't see color. I will never see color. And I don't care to. It's stupid. It is wrong. It is not God's intent for us. And so I don't, I don't have a boogeyman in my life called the white man. And I don't have a boogeyman in my life called society says. I don't care about the boogeyman. And see, those boogeymen, there's something behind that, and it's Satan. Satan is the boogeyman that's behind those concepts that are pushed into our head. And, you know, it's amazing that you can even put one foot in front of the other every day for me. Because you're, you're just bombarded with all these things. Don't be yourself. Uh, the, feel bad for black people if you're white. You'll never be able to measure up if you're black. It, <laughs> and I don't buy any of it. 
I don't buy any of it. Because there's a liar behind it all. It's just a lie. And we, we break out into religions. Oh, my religion's right. Yours is automatically wrong. Why? Why? There's only one God, an amazing God, and he is an inclusive God. Whosoever believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. That's it. But no, we got we to gotta put a fine point on it. There's no fine point to put on it. Oh, well, if, if God, if you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, then he condemns everybody else to hell. No, he's just telling you what works. Make your choice. He gave you the freedom to make your choice. Make your choice. If you think it's Allah that's going get to get you there, make your choice. If you think it's you that's going to get you there, make your choice. If you think it's the Pope and the Catholic Church that are going to get you there, make your choice. But you're going to live with your choice. That's all you need to know. And there's only one way to heaven. Christ, that guy above my head. That's it. So you have a chance with this amazing thing called life where you get up every day and you breathe and you do nothing to make that occur because somebody's making it occur for you. You get a choice. You get a choice whether you're amazing. I grew up in the ghetto. Oh, we don't want to hear about you growing up in the ghetto. We're over that. I don't care if you're over it. It's the truth. And I chose not to stay there. I could have chosen to stay there. You think I can't sell drugs? (laughs) I can sell anybody anything. I'd be making bank. I'd have my own cartel. 37th in Michigan. I chose not to do that. Was it hard for me? Yeah, 10 times harder probably. So what? So what? People who have it harder are stronger. So what? That's why we don't go to the gym. We're so afraid that it's going to be hard. It is hard. Initially, when you start working out, your body says, what are you doing? And then after about three days of working out, it says, okay, dummy wants to get in shape. Let's get in shape. Yeah, it's hard. Life is hard. You want to step up to that? You want to be weak? Step up to it. But when you step up to it, you have to have some discernment. You have to think. You have to choose. And when you choose, you're responsible for what you choose. You got to own it. You can't blame anybody. You can't start pointing fingers at people. And that's what's going to be so funny to me about the people who are in heaven versus the people who choose to go to the lake of fire. They made a choice. And they're going to have to live with it. I made my choice. My bet is in. My chips are all on the table for Christ. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't think I am. I think that's the truth. So what's left when your idols are taken away? Self. Oh, what a horrible thing for you when yourself is all that's left. A lot of the idols we worshipped have been stripped from us. Dining out, sports, work. Family gatherings, except the one, get everybody gathering in the house and can't leave, which is the worst thing that ever happened to mankind, amen? Travel and grooming, to name a few. You can't even go get a haircut. You can't get your nails done. Then you got to look at yourself and say, oh, God, my fingernails are so long. We start looking like the werewolf of London. 
So some of these things give us a human measure of hope. These are privileges, and we use them to fill our time and to provide us with the human version of emotional nourishment. But now that they're gone, or now that they're on hold, or now that they're being given to us and taken away and given to us and taken away every other minute, if you live in California, holy hell, until the lie of the new normal emerges, there's not going to be any new normal. The new normal is going to be you have no freedom. Until it, merge, it, it, until it emerges, all you have at your disposal is self, especially if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what I see is that the people who don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ have no hope. They're just down, they're despondent. And they're calling me. And thank you for doing that. See, part of the stripping is that we keep on being invited to house arrest. I just heard it. One of the coaches from one of the universities was on doing a commercial. You can do your part by staying in your house. Stay safe. Keep on your mask. Wash your hands for 20 minutes. Stay safe. So it's not enough that the world system is propagandizing us, but they're getting us to propagandize each other. Stay safe. I'm so sick of hearing stay safe. I'm not at risk. Oh, that's another thing they call black people, at-risk youth. I forgot. Now I got ten things. That's awesome. I needed ten. I'm not, I'm not unsafe. I'm not scared of a virus. I'm not going to die from the flu. I'm going to die skydiving or something. I'm going to die running from a shark scuba diving. Amen? Okay. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. I, I can't swim. <laughs> I don't even like getting in my pool. It's time to get in the pool, and I haven't even been in my... Do you know I've owned a pool for eight years, and I've been in it twice? That's really sad. I'm going swimming today. So anyway, part of the stripping is that we're put on house arrest, and it is the equivalent of solitary confinement in prison. Prisons use solitary confinement for punishment. According to several experts who have studied it, solitary confinement deteriorates mental health. Hmm, I wonder if that's why all the people are calling me. Hmm, maybe their mental health is deteriorating. People in isolation become especially vulnerable to disorders like schizophrenia. They make up somebody to talk to because they're alone. Delusions, hallucinations, paranoia, claustrophobia, anxiety, and other symptoms because solitude makes individuals lose their grip on reality. What emerges within solitary confinement is a need to take control of your surroundings, and many in solitary confinement engage in self-destructive behavior. I was wondering why it is that I have a gym in my home with exercise equipment in it, and every day I intend to go in there, and I don't. Sit right on the couch and keep watching television. I don't get up, walk about 40 steps, and just get on a bike or, you know, get on the elliptical or lift some weights. Why? Mental health is deteriorating. That's why. That's why. You lose hope when you're confined. 
When you're alone, you lose hope. Do you think there's intent behind this? And then we're suspicious of people when we go out. Social distancing. What's social about distancing? Nothing. That's not social. It's designed to do exactly the opposite, which is to take away our social. Oh, maybe we shouldn't send kids back to school. Parents go, oh, please, no, not that. Please, please. I swear, I swear I'll do it. Send them back to school. All right, the parents are ready to be gathered on the government steps to get their kids to go back to school. We lose our grip on reality, and then why don't I go to the gym? Self-destructive behavior. Solitary confinement has been proven to damage physical health. It takes away freedoms, for example, the freedom to take walks or to go outside, and such confinement promotes vitamin D deficiency and susceptibility to a wide range of illnesses because of a lack of physical activity. What's the word? Atrophy. Atrophy. Your muscles atrophy if you don't use them. Your psyche atrophies if you don't use it. We stop reading. We start listening to the propaganda on TV. We become passive receivers of information, propaganda, designed to make us feel even worse. Solitary confinement often hinders both the chance and the desire to get immediate medical attention when needed, allowing illnesses to progress into more serious conditions. And what do we say? Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. We do that for three or four months, and then when we call, they say, oh, it's a three or four-month wait. We should have called right away. Solitary confinement violates basic human rights. I don't know if you heard me, so I'm going to repeat that. Solitary confinement violates basic human rights. Our government is violating our basic human rights by encouraging us to be in solitary confinement because, and to be scared of a boogeyman called the flu, which your body has been handling successfully for all the years that you've been on earth. Many experts contend that long-term solitary confinement fits the definition of torture because of its mental and physical effects. Various international human rights treaties don't allow solitary confinement. Imagine in the most barbaric societies where the person is not only in solitary confinement, but exposed, is exposed multiple times a day to verbal intimidation, telling the person that they are worthless and powerless and have no hope and will never get out of it. These tactics destroy the mind and destroy the morale at an alarming rate. In our current predicament, our house arrest is a form of solitary confinement. We have been stripped of our idols, things that feed our intellect and our emotions. And those things have been replaced with a constant media barrage of news concerning an out-of-control disease that is causing multiple deaths. News we have no way to prove, so we believe it, and slowly but surely, we're losing hope. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about going out for golf, and I was telling him what was going on, and he just cut me off. He said, okay, if we're going to play golf, we're not talking politics. Doesn't want to talk about it. And I said, okay, well, you're in your nice house. 
over in Scottsdale. You ain't got nothing to worry about. You being under house arrest is no big deal. But what about the people who don't have such nice houses? What about the people who don't have Internet? What about those people, the other normal people in the world? What about them? Don't nobody care about them. Don't nobody care about them. Nobody thinks about them. No, not if we're living out here in our our two point in our suburb with our nice house and two point five kids and a car in the driveway. We're not thinking about those people. They've got to be going crazy, and then they can't pay their bills because they can't go to work because their job's non-essential. We're not thinking about that. But believers in Christ take heart. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this, God the Father has not given us believers in Christ a spirit of cowardice. God the Father has not given us a spirit of cowardice. He has given us a spirit of divine power, a spirit of unconditional love, and a spirit of self-discipline. I've been wondering who's behind this COVID-19 farce, and so I began to trace the lineup of evil. And the obvious choice for who is behind this is the government. They're the face of it. Irrationally, Donald Trump is being blamed even though this is not his fault. But when people are delusional because of their solitary confinement, someone is to blame, often the object of their disdain. And believe me, Donald Trump is the object of disdain. And anyone but self is to blame. Who's behind the government? The shadow government. The puppeteers. The ones who are orchestrating the one world government. The new world order. And the obliteration of our lifestyle of freedom. Who's behind the shadow government? According to the Bible, it's Satan's demon army. The group the Bible calls the powers and the principalities. And who's behind Satan's demon army? Why, Satan himself, the enemy of God, of course. Now, according to the Bible, these truths can't be dismissed with the term conspiracy theory. And you start talking to people about this, and that's the first thing that comes to Ah, that's a conspiracy theory. No, it isn't. It's reality. And just because you don't know it's reality yet means you're being deceived. See, because what a deception is all about is I want you, I want there to be a reality and I don't want you to know it until the last minute when it destroys you. And that's the truth. The Bible makes it clear this is not a theory. Hovering above this line of liars and deceivers is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who controls the universe and who controls history with the word of his power. Do you see that in your head? You got this line of liars, the government, the shadow government, the demon army, the the demon officers, and Satan. You got that group, and above that group is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because nothing they do can happen without his permission. They have no power over him. Can you see that picture in your head? Okay, well, I got a better picture for you. The better picture is who's being held in the Lord Jesus Christ's righteous right hand. You, believers in Christ. So you are sitting in a very safe place in Jesus Christ's righteous right hand looking at those goofs. You are not in the front of the line behind them 
as a victim of them. Amen? You are not a victim. The circumstances going on in the world right now are the circumstances that the Lord is allowing to go on right now, and you are protected from them. You are not a victim of them. You have hope. And hope in the Bible is absolute confidence of an amazing future. So I want you to stop acting like you have no hope. I want you to start acting like the powerful people that you are. I want you to start acting like the children of a king. I want you to start living your life as if there is going to be an amazing future. And especially you young people who are all freaked out like, am I going to get to grow up? Am I going to get to get married? I don't know why you would want to do that. But I'm pumped. Uh-oh, I'm being negative about marriage again. So, you have hope. And see, the, where in the world are they telling you about this? Nowhere. That's why you come here. You come here to hear about this. You are not a victim. You have no reason to fret, no reason to fear. Your life's future was unknown to you before this hoax started, and it is unknown to you now, but your life is not unknown to the Lord. Before he even brought you here, he knew exactly what your life was going to be, exactly how it was going to unfold. He knew you were going to be a believer in Christ, and he made perfect provision for you to have a perfect life and to be conformed to the image of his son. Amen? All right, so what is known in the Bible is what it tells us about the present and the future. And here's what it says. I don't want you to forget it. I I want you to see that picture of you and the Lord hovering above the line of evil. And I want you to remember these two verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What shall we believers in Christ say when face to face with all these things? If God the Father is for us believers in Christ, and of course he is, he's on our side. There never was a time when he wasn't on our side, and there never will be a time when he's not on our side. Who is ever going to be successful against us? What's the answer? No one and nothing. Romans 8.32. If God the Father did not spare his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but delivered him over as a sin substitute for us all so that you wouldn't have to die He died so that you wouldn't have to for your sins. How will the Father not also, with our union with Christ, freely give us all things? Generally speaking, if somebody sends their son to die for you, they're going to do everything else for you too. Amen? Therefore, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 say this, As a result, we believers in Christ are no longer to be immature infants, easily confused, and tossed around like the waves, and whirled around by every gust of wind, carried about by the trickery of men, carried about by the cunning of men and their deceitful scheming, which has a definite purpose. And what's the purpose? To rob you of hope. Ephesians 4.15 But speaking the truth in unconditional love, we believers in Christ are to grow up in all aspects with reference to all things concerning Christ, who is the head of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.16, from which head the whole body of Christ, that's us, church-age believers, being fitted and held together 
by what every joint supplies and what, what keeps the body from falling apart. The ligaments, that's us, through, the, through our spiritual gifts, brought together according to the proper working of each individual gift, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in unconditional love. God is building us up through this mess. He gives us tribulation as a spiritual gymnasium. It is designed to make us stronger. It is not designed to steal our hope. You use your spiritual gift. You make a difference to your fellow believers. What is the Apostle Paul talking about here? He's talking about unity. God is the only one who can unite, and he already has placed his believers in Christ into a unity. First and foremost with himself. We are in union with Christ. Now Paul sums things up for believers in Christ this way. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It says this, I, Paul, stand convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect angels who would not, nor principalities, demons, fallen angels who could not, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, demon officers, nor height, nothing in the heavens, nor depth, nothing beneath the earth, nor any other created thing, no creature, will be able to sever us believers in Christ from the unconditional love of God the Father, who is for us through our union with his Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. You cannot be moved. You cannot be hurt. That's that. As believers in Christ, our hope is that we have supernatural weapons for fighting spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 say this. For though we walk in a lifestyle, living in the flesh, this physical body, we do not fight the spiritual war according to the flesh by using our human credentials. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our spiritual warfare are not of this body, it's not of this flesh. They are divinely powerful weapons that destroy fortresses, that's why we pray after church. We pray to destroy fortresses, things that appear to be obstacles for us, which are not obstacles for us. Amen? Second Corinthians 10.5 And we, believers in Christ, are destroying speculations and destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I will not be quiet. I will give hope. I will not be down. I will get off the couch. I will walk the 40 steps to the gym. I will give myself hope because that is what God gave me the moment he decided that he was going to create me. He gave me hope. Let's claim our hope. Let's obey our Lord. Let's not be afraid in the midst of this. Other than listening to this lesson, what hope-inspiring thing will you do today? When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll begin our verse-by-verse -verse study of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Take a five-minute break. 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what's left when your idols are taken away? Well, our Lord gave and gave and gave and gave. And there is a constant call from our Lord to giving and to sacrifice. And that's probably why there's such resistance to it. The ruler of this world and the enemy of God encourages us to adopt a mindset of scarcity. Mindset of scarcity is everything's running out, so you got to conserve and you got to preserve. But the Lord has a mindset of abundance. You remember the loaves and the fishes, five loaves and two fishes, and he fed over 5,000 people. He has a mindset of abundance. So be generous, just as the Lord is generous with you. Let's welcome back, let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. So happy to have Denny back. Thank you, Jim. I'm glad to be back. Sad to be away from the beach, but glad to be back. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor, just a real truth from the Word of God. And as we've been studying Corinthians, you know, we say again, is it sound good? Trying to mess with me, Satan? It's all good. So anyway, as we've been studying Corinthians, you know, we're, we're talking about Paul all the time, but we never really, is it cracking again? That's weird, we just fixed that. Let me just use June's. Check, check. One, two, three. Should be on now. Hear me? Okay. So anyway, <clears throat> is it still cracking? A little bit. That's weird. We scanned it. We got new ma- new channels this morning. Check, check. One, two, three. How's that? Nope, nope, nope. Check, check, check. That's no fun. <clears throat> I guess. Got my phone on me? Check, check, check. It's my new beard. This one. Still doing it? <clears throat> okay, well, I'll just go for it. Anyway, we've been studying a lot about what Paul's been doing, but we haven't really thought about Paul himself. <clears throat> and for myself, I never really connect, connected to him because it's kind of like being connected to an ex-con. You're not, like, ready to be, befriend the guy. <clears throat> he was kind of, like, against the church. Now he's for the church, so I would be just like early Christians and not really not really get behind him or trust him, I guess. So, But I'm thinking about it, as I'm thinking about it, <clears throat> Paul was just like us, and we're just like Paul. Because Paul's trying to get a message out in a hostile environment. And you think about it, <clears throat> he's trying to teach uh, in a city of splendor and many distractions, from Greece, cities of Greek to, or Greece to uh, Corinth, uh, the Corinthians. These are amazing cities. <clears throat> There's huge, lavish temples and these, you know, prestigious schools. And there's and no way to make ground. There's no way to break into that society. It'd be like going to Scottsdale Fashion Square and trying to teach Jesus. You'd, you'd have a lot of people that'd be like, ah, get out of the way. I don't have time for this. And take that to Hollywood. It'd be even worse. They'd probably try to kill you or get you out of there. Or imagine going to Rome <clears throat> and trying to teach Christianity there. Even today, 
<coughs> the, the, the Catholic Church would not let you stand around over there. They'd probably usher you along. They would probably wish bodily harm on you for standing around. And so we would have the same thing that Paul had back in, the day, back in his time. And truly, he was hated by the Gentiles and the Jews of his time because the Gentiles would generally just avoid him, and the Jews wanted to kill him. A lot of them wanted him removed somehow or assassinated, and that's kind of how we are, you know, as far as Christians. We go into a Catholic church, and you tell them their God is, is not the real God. What are they going to want to do, keep you around? Not, not, very, not very likely. Or even a, a Mormon church, like my Mormon neighbor, you know. Is Jesus Christ God? No. Okay, well, good luck with that one, pal. And so, I mean, he doesn't want to talk to me about it either. And so we really have the same things as Paul. And then, you know, what does this all this really lead to? It leads to fear and depression. You're in this city that doesn't want you around with these people that don't like you. And what are you, what are you wanting to do? Just give up, right? And flee. So what does God do? Just like today's message of hope from our Pastor Rory. He goes in chap- Acts chapter 18, verse, verse 9. He comes to Paul. And the Lord said to Paul in the night of, by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And so that's really what we need to remind ourselves. Don't fear. Don't fear and don't be afraid any longer. We have the victory. We're up here. We're not down with these mangy demons and all that stuff. That's no fun. Like We, we have the victory. It's, it's not always easy to see in this environment where we're losing our freedoms and nobody, nobody gives a shit about God. Nobody could care less about any of that. And so we really are the same as Paul. And it was kind of a weird thought in my head to think, I'm just like Paul. But, you know, truly, I... We are. We're, there's no difference between us. And, you know, it's, it's funny because Pastor mentioned we have the hair on our heads numbered. And, he do, you know, the Lord knows us very well. And so I feel like the less hair we have, the easier it is for God to know us. So now I, now I know why Pastor has less hair. So, you know, I'm working on it, guys. So, <laughs> But point of the story is, you know, we're just like Paul. And, and if Paul can get through it, so can we. If Paul can fight against all those things with just few few people that he had, so can we. Our church can do the same thing. We don't need to be afraid. All we need to do is keep speaking. And it's the most important thing is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just It's so easy. It's so clear. If it starts getting muddy, just step out of it. it just, you don't have to argue with people. You don't have to engage. Just give them the verses. We hear the verses every, every week. There's another set that we can use in a different way. And it's not repetitive, Pastor. It's... What it is is just training in a character pattern. It's teaching us the verses we need to use and giving us multiple different ways to teach people. And because not everybody learns the same. And we know our family. We know some uncle might be really resistant, so go at him with funny. You know, if we got somebody that's loving, go at him with the loving angle. There's a lot of different ways to kind of teach people about Christ. So thank you for your consistent giving, and, and thank you, Pastor, for giving us a message of hope, just like the Lord would. So thank you. Stupid
Today's Bible lesson, what's left when your idols are taken away? What's left when your idols are taken away? Excellent message, uh, Deacon Denny. So you got a, a person like Paul communicating uh, an amazing message into a hostile environment, and then add this element, you've got the most imperfect person who ever lived doing it, right? And that's the part that we forget sometimes, is that we are imperfect people sending a perfect message into a hostile environment. That's what we do. And what a pleasure. What a pleasure is it every single time that we communicate a message that's rejected by the world. Oh, don't talk to me about that. Oh, well, no, I don't, th- I don't see it that way. I can't believe you believe that conspiracy theory. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see, because really, it's the eternal picture that you need to really be thinking about. You know, there are a lot of people who hear the gospel message over and over and over and over and over again, but what does R- Romans say about it? It's foolishness to them. It's foolishness to the unbeliever because it's spiritually appraised. They're not playing the spiritual game. They're playing the human game. You cannot win the human game without the spiritual game. Cannot. But we've got that. Welcome back. Let's turn to our study of 1 Corinthians. Let's return to it. You'll remember that the next passage we're studying extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And the subject matter is the dispute in the first century Corinthian church over food sacrificed to idols. We spent two lessons before the Lord's Supper celebration last week outlining the background for the passage. And you'll remember the question that I asked you in one of those lessons. What idols do you worship? And I asked you to make a list. And I wanted you to do that because you may think that the poor Corinthians were the only ones worshiping idols. You may think of idols as things carved out of wood or chipped out of stone or molded out of metal. But you'll remember I told you that idols are the things that are designed by the enemy of God, Satan, to take your attention away from your relationship with God. How many people are there in this world who he has been successful with taking their attention away from any concern with or any thought of God? You know what people are doing right now? to give themselves hope. They're burying themselves in bottles of wine. That's what they're doing. They're burying themselves in alcohol. I was, I was driving last night and uh, talking to a friend, and uh, I told my friend, I'm on the road at the worst time in Phoenix, which is 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. on a Friday or a Saturday night because one-third of the drivers on the road are drunk. And my friend said, well, all the bars are closed. How are they drunk? I said, Costco. (laughs) Sales club. You're not going to stop people from getting alcohol. And so what are people doing? They're retreating into alcohol. I'll bet you we come out of this, if we ever come out of this, with world record alcoholism. Because the things that I was telling you about solitary confinement, it's ruining people's mentality. And their mentality was bad anyway. It's ruining ruining their ability to be social when they weren't social in the first place. So it's just it's just amazing what's going on, and yet we have the victory. We sit above this. We look down on this. So, I want you to start thinking about what idols you worship, because idols are more 
than just things that are carved. So, what is the definition of an idol? Idols are figments of our mental imagination, often things that do not exist, that are thought to bring us some benefit. They are lifeless things to which we give power and to which we extend devotion, always with a demon behind them. Satan assigns demons to be behind these idols to lure us to them, to attract us to them. And as we come to those idols, what we actively do is called idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the result of a mind led astray from the simplicity and purity of exclusive devotion to Christ. Satan wants us to believe that there are many roads to God. And so he created many religions to give us the delusion that we are on a road to God when we're really on a road to go right over the cliff. Idolatry is the practice of giving homage to, offering devotion to, and worshiping false, lifeless gods while simultaneously rejecting the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, making a God out of something that is not God. All right, that's what idols are, that's what idolatry is, and I'm wondering what your list is. You have a list. And the things on that list do not give you peace. Alcohol, look, don't get me wrong, I like wine more, just as much as anybody else. I have a wine cooler. I have bottles of wine in the wine cooler. I don't like drinking alone, though, so that's the problem. i got to invite people over to have a, a drink of wine. But look, there's nothing wrong with wine. Well, the Bible says, have a wine once in a while for your stomach problems and your frequent ailments. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's the getting drunk part. You're, you're in solitary confinement. You're out of touch with reality. And then you drink something that gets you more out of touch with reality. And what happens when it's all over? You come right back to the same reality only with a couple notches carved out of your heart. That's the problem with it. We need to get over that. We need to go to the place where we get real nourishment, the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, which are images. And remember, when Paul says, Now concerning, he is now answering the things that he's been asked by Chloe's people. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that Christians all have knowledge from the source of God, the Holy Spirit. But human knowledge, that other form of knowledge that Satan offers, feeds arrogance. Feeds arrogance. What does that mean? It puffs us up. We adopt an attitude of legalistic pride. People who have college degrees... One in four people in the United States have college degrees. Three in four people do not. And the three in four people who do not are always feeling bad because they don't have it. Why? Because the one-fourth wants them to feel bad. I have something you don't have, do-da, do-da. I have something you don't have. But every... Everything in the world, the the richest people in the world, the 500 richest people in the world, 90% of them didn't go to college. (laughs) 
Does that tell you anything? PhDs don't run the world. The more education you get, the more scared you get because you know what doesn't work and you're always bringing to your mind, that's not going to work, that's not realistic, it's not going to work, it's not realistic. And people who don't have anything, you know, for us, it's nothing from nothing leading nothing. I guess I'll just try it, see what happens, and then, you know, you, you, you try it, it works, something doesn't, you fall down, you get up, and you keep trying until you figure it out. Nothing special about going to college, except you spent four years around people that are the same age as you getting drunk. And I'm not discouraging going to college, but look what's going on with college right now. You go to a college like I went to, Northwestern University, it's 75 grand a year. I got through four years of Northwestern for $17,500. It's 75 grand a year now. That's $300,000. You, you come out of school with $300,000 in debt? It's going to take a long time to get out of that. Long time. Now, I'd still do it, but wow. Well, this first verse. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we Christians all have knowledge from the source of God, the Holy Spirit. Put it up, man. Human knowledge feeds arrogant, it puffs us up, we get an attitude of legalistic pride, but on the other hand, unconditional love knowledge, the knowledge that we get from the Word of God, edifies others. All right, the Greek expresses things sacrificed to idols as things offered to images that don't exist. What was on your list of idols that you worship? Because a lot of the idols we worship have been stripped from us. Dining out, sports, work, family gatherings, travel even grooming. The thing we sacrifice to idols more than anything else is our time, and we use it on a lot of things that do not offer a meaningful payoff. What Paul is talking about when he mentions things sacrificed to idols, he's talking about this. A sacrifice is something offered to a deity to curry favor and to gain acceptance. Works-based Activities designed to please or appease a God, usually followed by a celebration. That's what we do. We sacrifice. In the case of the Corinthian believers, Paul was specifically referencing food sacrifice to idols. Christians are not to knowingly participate in the consumption of food sacrifice to idols, but people that we know are always roping us into celebrations where idol worship is occurring. And a lot of times we aren't even conscious of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Now, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, if you're a know-it-all, and of course some do suppose that they know things, he has not yet known what is necessary to know. Paul is making it clear that if you know it all, you don't. If you think you know it all, you don't. And when knowledge puffs you up, it's legalism. Knowledge without Unconditional love is legalism. I wonder what it's going to be like for all the people who spent their whole lives studying expertises but never took the time to study the Bible. And two guys came to mind when I was writing that particular thing. Warren Buffett, one of the richest guys in the world, and Bill Gates, one of the richest guys in the world. One of Bill Gates' habits is, I think it's every three months, he'll get about 20 books, put them in a little book bag, He'll go to a place he owns up in Washington that looks out over the water, and he'll sit and read these really deep technical books 
for a week. He'll separate from his work, separate from his family, and just study, study, study. That is an amazing amount of effort that he takes. But how much of that effort is dedicated to studying the Bible? I'll bet you, I don't know, but I'll bet you zero. Now imagine that. Imagine that you read 80 books a year, deep, technical, hard-to-study books, none of which are the Bible. You spend all that energy, years and years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you amass a fortune and end up in the lake of fire for all eternity because you didn't bother to study the Bible. You have the ability to work and to study, but you study subject matter that is human knowledge that does not matter. And what does that human knowledge do? It puffs you up. It makes you think you're something when you're nothing. And I hate to pick on those two guys because I I actually think well of them. But if you're using all of that energy to study the wrong thing, publicito. 1 Corinthians 8.3. But if anyone loves God unconditionally, this one is known by God. And it would be much better to be known by God. When we love God, it follows that we love others unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally, we love him unconditionally, and we love others unconditionally as a result because we can reflect his love. It's more important to be known by God so that we know how to love others. Paul addressed the Galatian believers about the same exact issue in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Here's what he said. At that time, when you didn't know the one true God because you were unbelievers, You were slave to those gods, Zeus, the king of the gods, Hermes, the messenger of the god, Mars, the god of war, that whole pantheon of gods, which by nature are not gods at all. They're idols, Galatians 4, 9. But now that you have come to know the one true God because you're Christians, or rather now that you have come to be known by God as believers in Christ, how is it that you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elemental things like the pantheon of gods to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. That's what happens. We're born into the slavery of sin. When we become believers in Christ, we're freed from the sovereignty of sin. And what's the first thing we want to do? We want to go running right back to sin. We want to go running right back to what we know. And that's what the whole letter of Galatians is Paul going back to the Galatian region and ripping them for becoming Christians and then turning right back to idol worship. Human beings love being enslaved to things. Human beings love self-sabotage. Human beings love having great relationships and then taking a dump right on the head of their relationships. Human beings love being enslaved to things, and that is idolatry in present-day form. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Now concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, like food, we know that idols don't exist in the world, and that there is no God that exists but the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as an idol. It doesn't exist. It's a figment of our mental imagination. When we worship idols, we're being suckered into wasting our time on devotion to things that are being powered by demons that don't really exist. 
Demons are assigned to us by Satan, the enemy of God, to distract us from getting to know God. And they are very effective. Have you ever had a reading? Have you ever had a reading? Have you ever gone into one of these people who is card reading and they're turning cards over and, you know, laying it all out? I did this a long time ago. I was in Jamaica and my wife and I went and had a card reading. And what does she do? She turns it over. She looks at me and she looks at me with this kind of weird glaze and she turns over a couple cards and she says you will have two loves in your life like why are you gonna ruin my vacation <laughs> why are you gonna ruin my vacation like that i'm gonna be talking to my wife about that all vacations who's the other <laughs> and then i'll then i'll say the truth well you're assuming you're one of them you know and then now now game on right yeah, it's all over. It's all over. Spend all that money. Go over there to get your life ruined. For what? Something that does not exist. She doesn't have any special knowledge of my life. Looking at my hand. Oh, look at the lifeline. And it converges. And shut up. And we do that. We opened that. My mom was world famous. Opened the horoscope. Oh, I'm a cancer, she say. You know, and cancers are not necessarily compatible with Aries. I said, you didn't have to tell me that. I knew that already. <laughs> it's just beautiful. The stuff we do, instead of just go here, the Bible, 27 books. This is your horoscope. This is your card reading. But it's the truth. Hey, hey, hey. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. For even if for the sake of argument there are so-called gods, which there aren't, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many so-called gods and many so-called lords, according to idol worshipers. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us believers in Christ, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, and we exist for him, for his good pleasure, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things created, and we exist through him. There's one true God. When anyone believes in Christ, there is a new creation. The old thing died. Being a new creation commits us to a new code of conduct, unconditional love. When Christians live in a pagan society, and we do, we have, they, we have an obligation to follow the code of conduct that makes us stand out from the crowd. So everyone knows that we are exclusively God's possession. When I mention God and mention my relationship with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I love the look that people get on their face. It's a look like they're being molested. They're so uncomfortable because they spend so much of their time avoiding any contact with that reality. Well, what's the problem that Paul is addressing? The Corinthians are misapplying their knowledge. How you use your knowledge can be harmful. New Christians find it hard to let go of old traditions like worshiping in temples and paying homage to the pantheon of gods. They become believers and they go running back to the things that enslaved them in the first place. But as we continue this passage next week, we'll learn what Paul is communicating to believers about this. As Christians who are knowledgeable and mature, we must beware of our conduct in all matters. For example, if immature Christians 
are seeing you eating food or worshiping idols, what will they think? They'll think it's perfectly okay. Now, you can have a legalistic attitude with your knowledge and says, well, there aren't any idols, so it's okay for me to do this. And you'd be right. Anyone who doesn't like it, that's too bad. Well, is that smart? For example, is it wise to tell your teenage kids you smoked marijuana or had premarital sex? Because they always want to know. And there are a lot of parents who just say, yeah, well, I just got my daughter on the pill, or I gave my son condoms and told them to protect themselves if they have sex. Is that the message you ought to be sending to your kids? Are they ready? Are teenagers ready for sex? Honestly? Then emotionally, are they ready for sex? They're not. They don't have, they're, they're not ready for, to, to make up their bed every day. But you have parents telling them that. Tell them, well, I smoked marijuana. What do you think? L- listen to that. Mom, did you smoke marijuana when you were younger? And then you see that look on their face as they're asking the question. Yeah, I know. I just trapped you. And I'm looking at you. I'm going to see if you're lying. And so you say, yes. Actually, I did try marijuana once or twice. Translation to the kid. I did translate. I did try marijuana once or twice. The kid says, oh, so it's okay for me to try marijuana once or twice. That's the way they translate it. Why? Because they're immature. Why? Because they want to do stuff that's harmful to themselves. And they want to know it's okay, and they want your permission for it as if they need it. And so as, as parents, we're, we're trying to protect them from themselves. We're not trying to invite them to go sample the world. Because what we don't tell our kids is, hey, look, you can smoke marijuana if you want to. Go ahead. But here's what's going to happen. Males, you're going to start growing breasts because it stimulates estrogen in your body. So you're going to have breasts, but you're not female. And you're going to be out of touch with reality. And if you're driving a motor vehicle, you could get a $10,000 fine, which I am not going to pay. So you are going to jail. See, we don't want to tell them the truth. We don't want to tell them the truth. We don't want to tell them about the consequences. You have to protect them from themselves. That's what Paul is getting at here. Having unconditional love for others sometimes means foregoing your freedom. And as we continue our study next week, we'll see what else Paul has to say about this matter. So what's left when your idols are taken away? Self. Unless, of course, you have a spiritual life and a relationship with the Lord. Then what's left is the Lord. And you're residing in the sphere of his power. And there is nothing better than counting on the Lord for power. You never want to count on yourself for power. Ever. Believe me. All right. Closing moments of our study are the gospel message. The most important message of this study. We want you to know that God wants you. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart as the Lord of your heart. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope 
the absolute confidence of your faith in Christ that is in you. Yet give the account with gentleness and respect. Believers in Christ need to know the gospel message so they can tell others about it. Second, this message is for unbelievers so you can be saved. And whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. And sinners need a Savior. That is bad news for you that you were born a sinner. But the good news is that the gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life. And the most important decision of your life is Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. What does God want for you? Two things. First and foremost, God wants you to be saved. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this. This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. When the, what the Lord does not want for you is highlighted in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward you unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but wishing for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This immutable and irrevocable fact may contradict the thoughts placed in your head by God's enemy Satan through religions that contend that God is always disappointed in you because you sin and that you have to work to please him. So my question for you is this. Are you saved? Second, God wants you, wants to give you a written account of the absolute truth, his exact thinking. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say this. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Bible. John twenty thirty one. But these things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him you may have the resurrection life in his name. Do you know the truth, especially the truth about who God is as a person and the truth about what he has done to save you? Maybe you don't believe that the Lord, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't think he's God. Maybe you don't think that the Bible is his exact thinking. Maybe you don't even think that you need to be saved. But the Bible says that being saved, salvation, is exactly what all humans need from the moment of physical birth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, At physical birth all mankind were born spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 says, For all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. The Bible says that all who are spiritually dead need to be saved. They need a spiritual life. They need to be born again. The Lord Jesus Christ volunteered for the task of saving you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this, God the Father, being rich in mercy because of his great unconditional love with which he loved all of us, 
even when we were spiritually dead in our transgressions, made us believers in Christ spiritually alive in union with Christ, for by his grace you have been saved. When you were spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers, here's what God the Father gifted to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind. And that while we were yet sinners, as spiritually dead, ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers, Christ died as a sin sacrifice for us. Who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice, right where you sit right now, you can have eternal life, the resurrection life, by taking the suggestion in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. So heed the warning in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The lake of fire is a literal place And it will be your eternal home if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Joseph Smith, not Allah, not the Pope, nobody. You don't have to work hard to be saved. It's a free gift from the gracious God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. So there's no excuse for not knowing how to be saved. It is so simple. Why? It's simple for you because God does the saving for you. All you have to do is invest the gift of faith, a gift you, were, you received from a loving God, and place that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, and you will be saved. Do it right now. There is no time to waste. All right, let's close with music. If you don't want to be down, you have to look to the horizon with positive expectation that the Lord always delivers. Romans chapter 8. Verses 24 and 25 say this, For in hope, for a glorious future, we have been saved by God in eternity past. But hope that is seen in the present is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Romans 8:25. But if we hope for what we do not see in the future, and of course we do, with perseverance we wait eagerly for the wonderful things that are to come. Our hope is in Christ. Here's June Murphy to sing about him in her song, There's Just One Hope.
The world's confusing There's chaos everywhere Full of deception Darkness and great despair You can be freed from Its power, there's no doubt God's word reveals the one and only way out. There's just one hope There's just one faith Just one baptism One Lord, one way to get to heaven One hope There's just one faith One so great salvation The Father's way to get to heaven is Jesus Amen to that. True story. Let's close with praise 
to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 6 says, stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything by prayer and petition with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for giving us hope. And we pray that you teach us how to spread that hope all throughout the world, one conversation at a time. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.